Hey, thank you so much for listening to Behind the Line. This is the Sunday message. We hope that this message builds your faith and fills your cup. Now let's get ready for the word. HR, HR, where, somebody help me. Oh, yes, I love long, awkward hugs. So just be warned, if you come to give me a long, awkward hug, I will bring back what the New Testament says, greet your brother with a holy kiss, and you will get from me a holy kiss in return. So actually, uh, so Tyler did that the last service, and somebody gave me a hug in the bathroom. Never okay, by the way. (laughs) Just, just, that's, there's lines, right, in that, in that crossing one. (laughs) <laughs> and then he put in a breath mint. He's like, I'm waiting for my kiss. I was like, this got really weird. It's, it's like, you're not welcome at this church anymore. But anyways, uh, so I'll talk about shifting gears without a clutch. All right. So have you ever noticed as you're driving around the city of Rockford, we've got a lot of murals, right? Have you noticed there's a lot of brand new murals. They've been painting a bunch of the buildings all over the city. Here's a picture of a few of them. I think over the last like two or three or four years, they've done like 50 of them or something, and they have plans to do more. And as you drive around and see these, you're like, hey, these are actually really pretty cool. And a lot of them, most of them are really well done. They're done by some super talented individuals. I do have a full confession. There's a couple, maybe one or two. I'm like, huh? What is that? What am I looking at? I kind of just have this like rule of thumb in life that if it looks like a preschooler could do it, it's just not art. Um, Let me give you an example of that. This is a picture my son Luke did in preschool. Um, This is a self-portrait. I am special. There is no one like me. This is what I look like. Now, the Bible says we are all fearfully and wonderfully made, but not like that, right? Now, granted, Andrea and I did play Marilyn Manson for him when he was in the crib, so maybe that kind of led into his, his identity. I'm just kidding. So you're like, did he do that? That's weird. No, we did not. And don't worry, he's getting all the help he needs. So anyways, so back to this idea of all of these facades, these buildings being painted. You know, what's kind of interesting is you kind of look at why are they doing this? It's because nothing renews, refreshes, restores a city in some ways than a can of paint, right? It brings it back to life. It changes the kind of the aesthetic and the overall look. And as you look at this series that we're in, we're in this series that we started last week called The Power of Re. And the idea is that there is power in re-words when we apply them to our lives. And last week, we talked about the power of recalibration, that when we have a goal, when we have a dream, when we have a destination for our life, when we know who we want to be, and then we orient our life to do things God's way, to go down the path He leads us, that it truly is transformational. And if you weren't here last week or you missed it, I'd love for you to go back and listen to that message. And my guess is, as we are starting 2023, there's a reword that many of us would love to see in our life. And that would be a renewal of our minds. Because if we're honest, maybe the fears that we've dealt with, the worries, the sadness, the doubts, maybe the insecurities, the old patterns of thinking, they're just getting old, right? It's like this old wall that's in our life and we can't seem to get past it and we're tired and it needs a repaint. And you know, if you've been around church for any semblance of time or if you follow Jesus, that the way we're supposed to think as Christians is supposed to be different than than the way that people in this world think. Look at this verse in Colossians 3. It says, set your mind 
on things above, not on earthly things, right? Our mind should have a heavenly perspective. We should think of things a little bit different than maybe the status quo or how everybody else thinks. But yet many times we find ourselves getting caught up in the same fears, maybe the same worries as the rest of the earth does. If it's worrying about our 401k or or dwelling too much on who our political leaders are or to what our future holds or maybe our image or self-worth, and we can get so consumed with these things that we lose perspective of a heavenly perspective. We lose perspective of the mind of Christ, the way maybe we're supposed to see things or filter this world. And and I think if we're, once again, if we're honest, we think, you know what, it would be so great to be able to fully trust God. It would be so liberating to have this peace of mind, right? this peace that, that passes all understanding. It'd be so great to see a, a renewal, a repainting, a transformation in our mind. But when we begin to think about what that change would look like, we've been stuck in our old ways, our own thought life, maybe in our past for so long, that change sometimes seems pretty daunting, does it not? We feel stuck. We don't know where to begin or how to begin. And so inevitably what happens is we just won't do the work. Because when we look at the scale of the wall, we we look at the scale of the project that needs to be done, maybe it's our past, maybe it's our broken thinking or the fears, it just simply seems too big to repaint. But there is good news. God has given us a whole bunch of his truth. And if we begin to understand and apply his truth, his truth can come into our life to help us renew our minds. We know that if he calls us to have a mindset on things above, that means our minds can be different. But many ways, it's much like maybe this can of spray paint right here, is you can have the truth. You can look at the truth. You can think, you know what? I like the shade of this truth. I wish this truth was on the walls of my mind. I wish this truth was real about me. You can even rattle it around and think, this is the year. This is the time. I'm going to finally change. And then you look at it and you never apply it. And if you never apply God's truth to your life, then you'll never change, right? It'll just stay the same old shade that it's always been. There's a quote by a guy named Lane Jones, and he says, unapplied truth, it's like unapplied paint. It doesn't do any good. So what if this year we take some of the truth from God's word, we mix it up with some learnings that we have on science and research on our brains, we apply them together to begin to repaint, to take the task of renewing our mind. And when we do that, I truly believe that you can see a growth and a change in your life that maybe you've never seen before. Now, all that being said, I feel like I have to offer a disclaimer. Newsflash, I am not a doctor. I am not a counselor. I'm not a mental health expert. I am not a psychiatrist. I am not in that field at all. But one thing I do know is that your spiritual journey does not work in contention with your mental health journey. They work in cooperation. And the reason I know this is because God made us holistic creatures. It's the way God made us. He made us mind. He made us body. He made us soul. He made us spirit. And he's made us so that it all comes together to glorify him. He he made it all together to harmonize. And we know that all truth is God's truth. And so the more we learn about our body, the more we learn about our mind, we can't be afraid to take advantage of what we learn and then actually apply it to our life. Much like if you broke your arm, 
right? You have no qualms or no issue whatsoever going to see a surgeon or a doctor to fix your arm. You wouldn't just walk around with that thing hanging there, right? Because you're afraid or don't want to deal with it. No, you know what's best for you is to go see somebody who can help you take care of this. But yet when it comes to our broken brains, sometimes in our culture, there is still a stigma attached to it that we can't go and get the help we need, right? We can't go and open up about our broken brain or whatever our broken way of thinking is. We can't be vulnerable because what if, right? We begin to play all these games in our mind that keep us from getting the help, right? To go see a doctor or a counselor or a mental health expert, right, that we need to talk to. And so let me just say that for some of you, the next step you know you need to take to renew your mind, it might be that you need to go and talk to someone. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There are people who their job is to help fix whatever broken patterns you have in your head. And, and maybe for you in 2023, that's a step you can't put off anymore, I want you to understand something really important about the Bible. The Bible has a ton to say about our minds. The Bible has a ton to say about our thoughts. The Bible speaks a lot about our emotions. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because God, once again, made it all, right? He made our emotions. He made our minds. He he made our bodies. And he understands it all and how it all should come together better than anyone and better than anything. And so even though I'm not a doctor, I am a pastor. So I am qualified to say this. The reason the Bible speaks so much about the mind is to give us hope. To give us hope that there is a better way, that you don't have to be stuck in your mind anymore, that a better life, a free life is possible. It doesn't just have to be the status quo. It doesn't just have to be, well, this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. No, hope is possible. And I think us having hope and realizing that with God's power coming into our life, that change is possible is the first step towards healing. Knowing that, you know what? I can take a next step. I can get well. Now, there's a book that was written a handful of years ago called You Are Not Your Brain. It was written by two doctors, Jeffrey Schwartz and Rebecca Gladding, and they are two doctors that are experts in the fields of psychiatry and neuroplasticity. There's a word for you today. And they actually, in this book, they lay out a four-step process on how to renew your mind, how to actually change the way you think and see the world. And in this book, the four steps all happen to be rewords like we're in this series. So, so appropriate, right? And I have a friend of mine. She's a pastor in Ventura, California. Her name's Jody Hickerson. And she did a wonderful job of, of applying some of the principles from this book and adding some scripture to these four steps. And so today, I want to build off the book, build off of some of her ideas and put it all together to help us begin to walk through a process of what it would look like to renew our minds. Now, there is a 0% chance in the next two or three hours that we're together, just making sure you're paying attention, okay? And there's a 0% chance that I'm going to be able to fully explain to you neuroplasticity, right? Or how to renew your mind. This is what I hope for you, a hope catalyst, a a jumpstart that you want to dig in now and begin to do the work. What's one of the things that was kind of fascinating as I was diving into this book and this topic this week is I found out that Dr. Schwartz is a Christian and he actually has a bunch of articles on Biola's website on how to kind of apply his research with faith. Very fascinating. You might, might want to Google that and go and do a little research on your own. And what's kind of amazing about the book overall is you'll see that there's a ton of overlap regarding the brain and what God says about the power that comes when we renew our minds. 
which is just one of those things to me, by the way, that's just proof of how amazing the Bible is because you have all these researchers who spend all of this time trying to learn and discover new things. And many of times they're discovering scientifically something that God put in the Bible literally like generations ago. Because once again, all truth is his truth. It's like when science discovered that the earth is round, that was super revolutionary. Like for years and years and years, everyone believed the, that the earth was flat. Kyrie Irving still believes the earth is flat, right? That was like a very popular belief. But yet in the Old Testament, God talks about the horizons, the sphere, the earth being circular. And he said that, right? We're talking generations ago. And to read that, you'd be like, the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. Right? The earth is flat, and here it is, it's talking about it being a circle that, that just floats in space. That's crazy talk. And here we are now, right? We know, and all science does is just try to catch up to God, right? Because of God's, once again, he created it all. And one of the things that's kind of interesting, one of these main ideas that we see in the book is that the mind and the brain are two separate things, that the mind and the brain are different, And that if we begin to harness the power that we have in our mind, we can literally rewire, repaint our brain and renew it. That our mind has the ability to give us new ways to cope. It has the the ability to give us new habits. It has the ability to help us overcome any toxic thought pattern or bad thoughts that we have. And that's why the author actually says in the book, your mind is not your enemy. It's actually your greatest ally. Well, this sure sounds a lot like what Paul told us in Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You have to understand that God has a good and a perfect and a pleasing will for your life. And that that the thing holding you back from his good, pleasing, perfect will might be that you need a renewing of the mind. But this verse right here is proof that it's possible, that you can discover that that there is a full life that God has for you and it's accessible. But for some of you, your brain is actually getting in the way of that. Your, your brain and your, your broken habits or your broken way of thinking is preventing you from fully realizing the life that God has. And so I want to walk through the four steps, like I said, from the book, and we're going to look at it mixed with God's true, uh, truth. And my hope is that we find hope, that we today can renew our minds. So here's the first step. The first step when you have like a bad or an unwanted or a toxic thought is to relabel it. Relabel. Now, we know labels are powerful, right? Anyone who's ever maybe made fun of as a kid by somebody, maybe who had a teacher say something negative about them, maybe a parent, the words that they spoke over your life, you know how powerful labels can be. And they stick, don't they? Could be a fear that maybe we have or a thought that we have, and we think because we've had this thought, it defines us. And the the danger is when labels are stuck to us, we, we sure think that they're real. Because if somebody said it to me, then it has to be real. Or if I thought it, then it has to be real. And then what happens is if we don't like it or it's distressing, we often will try to avoid or relieve the burden from the, the negative label that, that we're carrying. And, and to avoid it or relieve it, this is why often we tend to turn to negative or toxic coping mechanisms. This is how bad habits are actually formed, right? addictions, things like that, because we're turning to, to things to relieve 
some of the toxic thoughts that are going through our mind. Or if we do try to address whatever the label is, maybe we peel at it, we claw at it, it has this sticky residue. And so if you don't relabel it with something new, these old patterns have a way of just coming back. And so what the book kind of says is, as you begin to attack your thoughts, step one is you have to be able to define it and know it. Before you can fight anything, you've got to know what you're fighting. And the book talks about you have to label it for what it is. And so the book gives an example of this by talking about a, a woman who is consumed with worry, not just like your average run-of-the-mill everyday worry. She was so consumed with worry that it was beginning to interfere with her ability to function in life. And the, at the source of her worry was this belief that she would be alone. And she kept having this vision or this thought that she would end up at a nursing home one day and that no one would ever come to visit her. And so what happened is through her her counseling and talking through this doctor was able to relabel this thought as just spinning. So now she would define it as spinning. And by doing so, she was able to separate herself from the thought. And this is actually exactly what the Bible tells us to do. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, we demolish arguments... And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You have the ability to take captive a thought, which means you can look at it, identify it, and label it separate from yourself, right? You, you can look at that thought, take it captive, and when you take a captive thought and look it over, you can now label it for whatever it is. That's just fear. That's just a lie. That's just spinning, right? That's just ruminating, right? Whatever it is. And with Christ's power, and that's the beauty of Christ, you get to examine that thought as you take it captive, and you get to decide if it's true about you or not. The thought doesn't get to decide you. Your mind gets to decide if that's true about you or not, which actually leads to the second step, reframe. Relabeling is a great first step, right? You've got to take that thought captive You've got to be able to call it what it is, label it for what it is. But reframing is about gaining perspective about that thought. And you see, this is important because without the right perspective, we will feel like we owe all of our thoughts due process. We will feel like we owe all of our thoughts our time. We will look at our thoughts and think that they're either true about us or that they should rule our day. And then all of a sudden, our thoughts are like the tail wagging the dog. Our thought life is now running us instead of us running us with the Holy Spirit's power. So for, for example, if something causes us to worry, right, we can be afraid not to worry because we'll think, if I don't worry about this, does that mean I don't care about it? And if I don't care about it, does that make me a bad person? We'll use our kids for an example. The reason many people worry about their kids is they feel like they have to. Well, I have to worry about my kids. And if you find yourself not worrying about your kids, you're like, wait, do I not love my kids? So I have to worry about my kids because it's just what parents do. But we know that that's foolish because the outcome of a situation won't change whether we worry about it or not. But that doesn't prevent us from driving ourselves batty anyways. And this is why we need reframing. And it goes back to understanding a thought is just that, a thought They don't control you. They have no value. They have no meaning unless you decide it does. And so instead of the thought being you, you get to look at your thought and you say, no, 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 that's not me. That's just my brain. That's not me. That's just my brain. 
That's not who I am. And so the book, it talks about a a great label for a bad thought to get perspective is by calling it a false foreign invader. A false foreign invader. Because when you label a thought this way, you're reframing the perspective on it to see it as almost this external evil alien that's trying to hijack your life. Well, nobody wants an evil alien hijacking their life, right? So if an evil alien came, what would you do? You'd fight back. You wouldn't just live with it and say, let's cohabitate, evil alien. Now let's be besties. No. You'd say, no, I've got to fight back. And that's kind of reframing your perspective. Now, spiritually speaking, we've got to remember something that's critical. That we actually live and dwell in a spiritual battle. I think sometimes in churches, we can either overemphasize that or underemphasize that. Sometimes we won't talk about it at all. And sometimes some people like to talk about it too much. They're looking for demons around every corner. Like, hey, is that you, demon? Where are you at, right? They're everywhere. They're looking for them everywhere. And those people are like, I'm going to avoid you. You're a little weird, right? So there's a balance there. But you do have to understand there is a spiritual battle that's happening between good and evil. And perspective of that matters because there is a real false foreign invader, the devil. And he would love nothing more than to get after Jesus by getting after you. He can't get after Jesus, right? He's Jesus, resurrected king, defeats sin, defeats death. Wait, he, can't, he can't hold a stick to Jesus. So if he wants to get after Jesus, he's going to get after the thing that Jesus loves the most. That's you. You are his prized possession. And that's why John 10.10, 10, when, when Jesus warns us about the enemy, what does he say he came to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission. He's trying to steal from you. He's trying to kill you, and he's trying to destroy you. And how does he do that? Well, his modus operandi, his main tool, is lying. That's his primary weapon. Look at what Jesus said about the devil, John 8, 44. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's a lot of lies in there, right? Because lying is the enemy's native language. It's what he deals in. It's what he's a master at. And so in your life, the way he's trying to steal or kill or destroy the life that you're supposed to have in Christ Jesus is by lying to you. And the primary way that he lies to you is in your brain. He deals in misinformation. He deals in deception, deceit, fabrication, dishonesty. And when these things jump into your mind, they are literally alive from the pit of hell. Alive from the pit of hell. But here's the good news. You having perspective on this, knowing that either your brain or the enemy or both is lying to you, all the more will actually help you separate yourself from whatever destructive, toxic thought is coming into your mind. Because when you label it, and you reframe it, and you put it in the proper perspective, you don't then have to own it. You can say, no, that's not me. That's a lie. That's not me. That's not who Christ says I am, right? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't define me. That's simply not true. And you look at some of these verses. Let me read a few verses, and you see that not only can you fight back, but the Lord's power will enter into your life and help you. So this is 2 Corinthians 10.4. This is the verse Right before the verse that says, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, look at what it says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. 
On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You have divine weapons, everybody. Right? You got a nuclear arsenal of weapons at your disposal. Heavenly weapons. You want the mind of Christ? He's given you heavenly weapons to have that mind of Christ. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So you, you have the ability to have these Holy Spirit heavenly inspired divine weapons. And then you have this armor that God has given you. And you can go back and read in Ephesians 6 and see what his armor is, but it's pretty sweet. You got a sword of the spirit, a helmet of salvation. You get your own Iron Man suit from heaven, right? You get to suit up and, and fight back. And then 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. So you're not on an island doing this on your own. God is faithful. He's going to protect you. you are, if you are his prized possession, you don't think he's going to fight with you? And if God's got your back, then you're good. There's power in reframing everybody. There's power in getting the proper perspective. And if you know your thoughts aren't you, separate yourself. You know that they're lies and that God will help you fight back that power can change your life, which leads to the third step, and that's to refocus. And the idea behind this is pretty simple. This is where we begin to, instead of turning to our destructive tendencies or habits, right, because we know a lot of the, the ways we alleviate our negative thoughts, right, and it's robbing us of the life we want to live is because we turn to destructive tendencies or habits or coping mechanisms. So you begin to now refocus on something productive instead either a productive thought or a productive activity. And by doing so, what you're beginning to tell yourself is that you're not a victim to your thoughts anymore. They don't have to control your day. You get to decide what happens with your day, right? Because lots of times when we have a destructive thought, you just, you shut down, right? I can't go. I can't go to that play. I can't do, right? It's robbing from us, steal, kill, and destroy the life that we want to have. And when you begin to refocus, you realize, no, I can continue my day and do the things that God has set out before me despite the battle that's happening in my mind, because I'm not a victim. I can be victorious. I can create new habits. I can do new things. And so the, 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 the book, it talks about refocusing through taking a walk or a workout or calling a friend, lots of different ways that you can refocus. And all of these are good. And the reality is that anything that's good, the Bible actually tells us is great for refocusing. The Bible gives us a roadmap on how to refocus. Philippians 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, this is Paul speaking, whatever you have received, heard, or seen from me, right, the disciplines I've done, the ways I've done things, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So what he's saying is maybe instead of trying to force out the bad thought, that never works, just allow yourself to focus on all the good ones. Begin to fill your mind with good things. Dwell on things that are right. Dwell on things that are pure. Dwell on things that are admirable. And you're going to find that as you do that, it's really hard to be negative when you're intentionally positive. And, and I got to say that maybe it, it feels sometimes in the church world that it's too cliche, that it's almost too simple. Or maybe we've, we've like, quote, unquote, tried it and it didn't work. 
but you have at your disposal the most powerful tool that will help you refocus, and it's God's word. It is by far the most powerful tool, and you want to say, well, why is it so powerful? Because regardless of what you're thinking, regardless of what you're feeling, regardless of what culture of the world is telling you, it's true about you above it all. It is the source of truth. But when we look at it, so often we look at it as like it's a burden instead of a benefit. Look at this quote from John Orberg. One of the greatest gifts God has given the human race is scripture. Yet we often turn it into a burden. Sometimes people ask me, how many minutes a day am I supposed to read the Bible? Seven, 15? What is the minimum I can read and not have God be mad at me? And we've all been there, right? We thought that. And we got to get away, just pause here for a second. We got to get away from a performance-based Christianity. You don't perform for God. He just wants to be in a relationship with you. Anyways, that's the wrong question. God is not mad at us for not reading the Bible. No matter how much we read the Bible, he won't love you any more than he loves you right now. The question is, what can you feed your mind with so that it can flourish? So refocusing your mind on scripture is about feeding itself, feeding your mind something that's true, that's pure, that's noble, above how you feel or how you think. And what this this kind of this idea is, is that what you download into your mind matters, right? It, it, like, you have to understand all your brain really is, is a big old mushy ball that's like a computer operating system. It operates based upon what we put into it in a lot of ways, right? So what you download into your brain matters. So if you want your brain to flourish, you've got to put some good things into it, but it's really hard to flourish when your brain is filled with a bunch of junk, The reality is bad thoughts are going to come anyways, right? Lies are going to come anyways. We don't need to partner with all the bad by feeding our brain fear-mongering news or maybe scary images or degrading music or pornographic images or cynical political trash or constant scrolling that leads to envy or comparison. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, here goes the pastor railing on the evils of culture, right? Here he goes, 2023, the culture's going to get you, right? Stay away from the movies, right? Don't go, right? That's not, this is not, uh, nothing that I'm talking about right now is about behavior modification, right? To earn some type of approval from God. I'm talking about the battle of your mind. That's your mind. You get to decide what goes in it, but don't you want it to flourish? Aren't you tired of the fears and the worries and the doubts and the apprehension and wondering which 401k is going to do all the time and wondering what's going to happen in your future and worrying about your job security? And not to say that these things don't matter, but you can have a mind that's above it, but it matters what you put into it. You got to feed it with stuff that will make it flourish because what you download into your mind matters. And so how do we download more of God's word into our life? and make it accessible? How do we download more of his word into our minds so we can flourish? There's lots of different ways you can go about this. One is we can have the Bible now literally at our fingertips, right? There are Bible apps. And if you go to the Bible app, let's just pick the YouVersion app, and you put in anything that you're dealing with, anxiety, 57,000 reading plans will come up just for you on how to deal. You can, guys, you can go to Google, Google verses about worry, and 47,000 verses come up, and you're like, oh, I didn't have to thumb through that paper to find it. It's right there. And instead of maybe trying to memorize them all, pick one that speaks to you. 
maybe start with memorizing one. So maybe if a thought comes into your mind that makes you afraid, you say, no, 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 God has not given me a spirit of fear. He has given me a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So I'm going to walk in a sound mind because that's who God said I am. I can think freely. I can rise above my fear. I don't have to give into this fear because fear isn't a part of me. That's a spirit of fear. That ain't of me. That's from the devil. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I'm going to walk free from the spirit of fear. I can backtrack away from the spirit of fear and walk in the power and peace and the sound mind that he's given me. All from the power of memorizing one verse. Right? You make that your motto. Write that down somewhere. Thank you, but it's God's verse, not mine. I appreciate the applause. Right? You, you, you begin to, whatever it is, put it on your mirror, put it in your car, just pick one. That's why sermons at church or, or joining communities are so important because they'll help you see God's truth and what's true about your life and how to apply God's truth. And I'd say a weapon, a huge weapon for the battle of your mind is worship, worship music, when you have these songs that fill your mind with God's truth and truths about God because it's really hard to worry and worship at the same time. Right? And when worship just fills your, your, your life, your room, your car, your house, it's just amazing how you'll begin to find and sense this freedom. Um, my wife, she listens to K-Love and Air One quite a bit on the radio, and they were talking about this. <laughs> Got some Caleb fans. All right. Uh, so she, she, they have this like challenge on there. They, I don't know what, exactly what they call it, but like try 30 days of listening only to worship music and see how it helps. And people will call in and kind of give testimony to how that worship music over and over has really helped them maybe gain perspective or, or see something different or whatever else. But once again, you fill your mind with thoughts about God over and over. You'll begin to see God everywhere. And one of the quickest ways to see a change in your life is to change what you worship. You want to see a change in your life? Just change what you worship, right? One of the reasons we get so consumed with maybe the future is we worry and worship things that alter the future, like money, right? Well, change what you worship. You begin to see, I don't care about some of that stuff as much anymore. So we begin to refocus, refocus our brain on things that are true and noble and good. We begin to see things and see ourselves the way God sees it, which leads to the last step. Revalue, revalue. And the idea of this is to reclaim a, a healthy view of who you are by beginning to revalue yourself. And the book, it actually talks about like an external way to revalue yourself is to view somebody as like a wise advocate, almost like create a person who, who would be a wise advocate and to see yourself the way the wise advocate sees you. It kind of talks about maybe imagining somebody who really loves you. Like, who's that one person who loves you? Like, you could do no wrong in their eye. Maybe it's your mom's like, oh, my little boy, my little girl, my little Hercules, 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 right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, that one person who loves you way more than you should be loved. Maybe it's your grandmother. Maybe it's an aunt. Maybe it's an uncle. They just love you, like, way too much. They think you walk on water. You're like, grandma, grandma, come on. Yeah, I'm not perfect. Yes, you are to me. They have a cookie, right? Whatever. And, and to imagine yourself through their eyes. To see yourself the way that someone who loves you sees you. And then imagine what they would say to you about your thoughts. Imagine what they would say to you about your fears. Imagine what they would say to you about your worries. How would they encourage you? But here's the beauty of a person of faith. Is when you have faith, you don't have to use your imagination. Because you can look at God's truth and what God has done for us and you can see your value. Let, let me read this verse. This verse is true about you. Once again, regardless of what you think or, or how you feel, Romans 5, 8, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You want to talk about value. 
When you were at your worst, when you were still a sinner, God had put into motion a plan to save the world, including saving you. Then Jesus came down and said, with his mission, I will seek and save those that are lost because my primary mission and plan is to, re- to, to redeem that which is broken and lost and stolen, to fight back against the enemy's plan. And he came to save you by going to a cross. His blood was shed. His body was broken so that you could have new life in Christ while you were still a sinner. You couldn't do anything to earn it. Can't do anything to lose it, right? In terms of him loving you. He just does. And then don't miss this. When Jesus was kind of gearing up to leave, he told his disciples, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will help you see God's plan through. You'll never be alone. And the Holy Spirit's name How Jesus defined him is literally advocate. John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us, leads into all truth. Holy Spirit's always with you. It's a gift that you have. And he's a helper, a comforter, a counselor, a leader in his one of his primary roles is to lead you into all truth. All truth. And, and, and the beauty of truth is truth is the very thing that will help you win the battle in your mind. Help you renew your mind. So when a, a thought that comes into your life that's toxic or a lie, you begin to learn scripture and the Holy Spirit begins to bring it into life in your soul and your spirit. You can now look at that thought and tell it the truth about who you are. No, 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 no. That's not true about me. I am who he says I am, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I think. I'm going to take him at his word. And so when you think maybe, oh, you know what? I'm just trapped by my past. I'm always going to be stuck with these old thoughts and these old patterns that came from my old life. That's just not true because Jeremiah 29 11 says that God knows every aspect of our future. You say, oh, well, I'm just no good. I can't do anything good in this life. Lies. Ephesians 2 10 says you're a masterpiece created for good works. I'm just weak. I don't have the strength or ability to do that. Well, not according to Isaiah 40, 31. It says you are strong and you can endure. You think, well, I'm alone. No, John 15, 15 tells us that Jesus calls you a friend. Not that he didn't just save you. He doesn't just tolerate you. No, he's a friend with you. He wants to know you. Well, I'm just a failure. I'll probably screw that. No, Romans 8, 37 says, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Well, you're always going to be a victim. Not according to 1 Corinthians 15, 57, which reminds me of the victory I have in Christ Jesus. Well, but I'm kind of broken and useless and I hate what I see in the mirror. Well, Psalm 139 says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. I'm just kind of worthless. No, not according to Deuteronomy 7, 6, which says you are a treasured possession and I could keep going because God has a truth for every lie. He, he has a truth for every lie, but remember, it's like this can of spray paint. You can like it. You can have it. You can shake it around, rattle it. Think this is the time, this is the year, but until you begin to apply it, that with the Holy Spirit's power is what will bring transformation. And so what would it look like for you this year if you started to take God at his word? I truly believe you will, you will find a freedom when you know and internalize his promises in your life.
I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. I am working all things for your good. I will withhold no good thing from you. I am your shield and your great reward. I am your light and your salvation. I am the stronghold of your life. I will give you eternal life. I will give you abundant life. I will give you peace. I will give you rest. I will give good gifts to those who ask me, and I will give strength to the weary, power to the weak. I am close to the brokenhearted, and I will comfort those who mourn. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will hear you, forgive you, and heal you. I will be found by those who seek me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will listen to you. I will fight for you. I will set you free, and I will not change. I will redeem your life from the pit and crown you with love and compassion. I will finish the good work I have begun in you. I will never blot your name out of the book of life. I will come back and take you to be with me. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. So as we end today, we're going to end with the worship song. And my hope is that you make this song that we sing your prayer today. If you find yourself wrestling with a dark mind, stress, sadness, worry, whatever it is, know that there's an advocate right now in this room. The Holy Spirit is here. Hear his thoughts above your own. Let him speak into your mind and your soul and your spirit his truth today. So you know I can leave this place and walk in a whole new life. Let's find a hope that comes from him alone. And so once again, as we sing this song, make it your prayer. Declare this to be true, regardless of how you feel right now in this moment. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you have given us Holy Spirit-infused power to have a new mind. And I pray all throughout this room now you would begin to speak to the minds and the hearts in this room to hear your truth above any other voice in their head. In the name of Jesus, I pray that. Amen.